At the start of March, the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety released its final report into aged care and laid out an extensive plan to overhaul the aged care system. There's no doubt that aged care must be reformed, but with an overwhelming number of recommendations, where do we even begin? Here to break down the strategies that governments should adopt is Annika Stobart, Associate with the Grattan Health Program, who has done significant work into aged care research. Welcome, Annika. Thanks, Kat. So, Annika, you've been incredibly busy the past few weeks. You've been reading the report behind the scenes. How long did it take you? Well, Kat, I haven't quite got through it all yet because, in fact, it is five volumes with eight books, and if you printed it out, it would weigh 10 kilograms. This amounts to about 2,800 pages, and I calculated if you read it for 24 hours straight, it would take about four days. This is due to the fact that the report actually contains three reports because the commissioners disagreed on a number of things, which means that there's a report where they agreed on things and then they each have their own reports on things that they thought independently. So that sounds like a huge amount of work for you. And I'm really glad that we've got you on the podcast to help give us a brief overview of what is actually in this report. So can you fill us in on a bit of the scope of this report? The Royal Commission was announced over two years ago by the Prime Minister, and it was in response to some terrible reports in the media of the condition of aged care in Australia. And since then, we've had 2,500 submissions, 650 witnesses. We've also had a changeover in one of the commissioners. And so it's been a massive process with the community investing a lot into it. So that's why the scope of this report is quite broad to look at the whole system, what's gone wrong and where to from here. Yes. And so I want to break down some of those key recommendations uh, through the podcast. And you've written extensively on this uh, in the weeks since. I want to break down the first one that you've identified is that Australia needs a new Aged Care Act. So please take us through that. A new Aged Care Act is absolutely fundamental and we're really glad to see the Royal Commission recommend this. The current Aged Care Act is an absolute mess. It was introduced during the Howard era and really set up some problematic structures in the system, including this idea of rationing care. So the government just saying how much it wants to give out rather than looking at what kind of care older Australians need and deciding how much funding to give on that basis. So it's good to see that they recommended an aged care act that actually gives an entitlement to care. So that says, okay, what do older Australians need? And let's provide the care and support that enables them to live independently and have a meaningful life in older age. So it's really turning the system on its head and you need this to be legislated in an act to set out the right structures, visions, principles, and get all the governance structures in place to enable that. And core to this as well is that an act should enshrine the rights of older Australians. So their right to live in dignity and receive high quality, safe care, exercise, choice and control and have equity of access. And that's certainly something that we saw in the news reports that came out after the report was released in terms of that sense of dignity, that there was a real lack of dignity in some of the the care and the procedures that were happening to older Australians. So I think that's a really core part of the recommendations from the report, but also they're similar to recommendations that you and Stephen and our colleagues made in last year's report, Reforming Aged Care, which is available 
available to read on our website at grattan.edu.au. So one of the biggest problems you identified in that report was a need for stronger governance. What's the problem with the current system and how could it change? Both the Royal Commissioners were quite strong in their language about the governance approach to aged care to date. They said essentially that there was an absence of leadership in the system over the last 20 years. You can see some recent examples of poor leadership by the federal government in response to the COVID-19 crisis. So it's clear that there needs to be a change in the way that governance works. Unfortunately, the commissioners actually diverge on how they thought this should come about, which is quite unprecedented to have such fundamentally different views. This might somewhat be impacted by their backgrounds, one being more of a bureaucrat and the other a lawyer. But one commissioner, so Commissioner Briggs, said that the governance arrangements should change and there should be some um, more independent regulation, but essentially should still continue to be run out of the Department of Health. And then the other commissioner, Commissioner Pagoni, said, actually, no, I don't trust the uh, department to be able to run aged care appropriately. So we need to set up an independent commission that is actually responsible for aged care. So there's pros and cons to both approaches, but essentially we need to be focusing on what outcomes do we actually want here? So we really need a paradigm shift in the way that aged care is governed and independence, I think, is crucial to this. We think that a transition body could be established that has a strong leadership structure to it and the commissioners did recommend some sort of transition structure, whether it be in the department. And this structure, if it's led properly with strong leadership that drives culture change, could provide a more of an independent uh, oversight of the aged care system as it transitions to this newer system that the Royal Commissioners have recommended and then it be reviewed, say, in five years, whether it should remain as an independent governor or whether it could be subsumed into the Department of Health. But essentially going back to this idea of we really need a culture shift here. And on top of this, the Royal Commissioners did say there needs to be more regional level governance. So this is something that we also proposed in our aged care report. Although the commissioners are a bit softer on it, they say let's have a network of regional offices but we think actually we need much stronger governance on the ground at the regional level where the regulation is much more connected to the local community, their needs and the local system so that there aren't any gaps uh, and there aren't any providers slipping through the cracks. We can't just have a fully centralised model that has been proven to not work. Other things I would mention as well as what the commissioners did agree on was an independent pricing approach. So actually having an independent body setting what the fees should be and that will better set the prices at a way that actually reflect quality care. Other things they agreed on were having an inspector general, also independent overseeing the system and having some community involvement in um, advising on policy, either through a community advisory committee or an elder council. I think the big point that you make is that we don't want to introduce reform measures and then have them suffer the same problems that we have previously. And I think I can appreciate that idea that we do need a new system. Otherwise, some of those ingrained behaviours will become entrenched again. One of the other issues you've identified is the need for more and better trained staff. So what do we need at a minimum? The Royal Commission was actually really good on this. The solutions to workforce and minimum staffing requirements have been known for quite a while. They've been lobbied for by a lot of advocacy groups for a long time and nothing's shifted. So we really hope that the government takes on these recommendations. So there's 
there's a number of things they recommended. Firstly, they said all personal care workers need to be registered. So under this scheme, they need to have Certificate 3 training as well as mandatory dementia training, things that don't currently exist in the system which you expect would have been. Other things are much more transparency in residential aged care around the mix of staff and the hours of care that's actually given to residents. Currently, we have no idea about these things at all, uh, which is quite surprising. So firstly, they said that there needs to be in the next, by 2022, uh, a minimum of 200 minutes of care given to each resident and 40 minutes of this must be given by a registered nurse. And then that would be slowly scaled up in 2024 to 215 minutes and 44 minutes. Uh, so this is better than the current average of 180 minutes of care that's that's given, but it's still quite a minimum level. So on this uh, kind of star rating system that's used to compare residential aged care facilities in the US between one and five star that would only make it two or three stars so it's still a minimum and on top of that there's also a requirement in 2024 to have a 24-hour registered nurse on site at all times which is also uh, something that's been lobbied for for a long time. These sound like bare minimum changes and yet it's such a huge change from where we are at the moment it's actually quite shocking to hear that we're not even meeting that kind of two or three star standard at points in Australian aged care. So the Royal Commissions have blamed this crisis on, among other things, a lack of funding. And these reforms sound quite expensive. How much will it cost to do this and how can we pay for it? Yes, this is a very important question that a lot of policy proposals always come down to, but how much? The Royal Commission unfortunately did not cost their proposals. So this needs-based aged care system is completely new. And so I think the government needs to go away and actually look at how much it would cost. But at the Grad Institute last year in our aged care report, we did do some modelling and estimated how much a better system would cost. And we estimated that the government needs to spend about 35% more per year. So that's $7 billion on top of the current $20 billion. And then that number will also get bigger in the future as Australia's population ages. But then, yeah, the question is who should pay for this? The commission has made it clear about how to break up the costs. And this also reflects our thinking in our uh, report at Grattan Institute. Essentially, you can break the costs into two categories. You can have ordinary living costs. So these are things such as someone needs help with cooking, cleaning, paying for accommodation. And then there are care costs, so things associated with nursing and so on. And so the commission has said, inconsistent with a rights-based approach and an entitlement to care, similar to our healthcare system, that older Australians shouldn't have to pay for care costs out of their pocket, but things such as ordinary living costs, they should be contributed to by older Australians in a means-tested way. So this is a good way, we think, to distinguish how to pay for aged care. But Annika, this sounds like the big T word and I'm already paying enough tax. How are we going to pay for this? This sounds like Medicare. A better approach to means testing might help pay for some of the additional cost, but essentially, yes, the government does need to be spending more on aged care and it's currently underfunding aged care. I think one of the commissioners in the report said that based on the current ration-based approach the government has been using over the last 20 years, it's been paying about 8 to $10 billion under what it should be last year. So we do need to be putting a lot more into the system to just get it up to an adequate standard and support older Australians. And comparatively to other 
other countries overseas, we also pay much less of our GDP in comparison just to countries such as the Netherlands and Japan that have high functioning aged care systems. We pay about half of the GDP they do. We do need to be investing more and there are many different ways that we could be paying for aged care. So both the commissioners agreed on an approach of introducing a levy. So yes, a tax. And they did uh, say a Medicare style levy. So one commissioner said it should be hypothecated, which means essentially that the money collected from this tax must be spent on aged care. And then the other commissioner said that it can be like a Medicare levy. So just increasing it by say 1% of personal taxable income, and that money can go into paying for aged care, but not doesn't have to be strictly spent. So Annika, I mean, shouldn't I just save up some money for my retirement just in case I need to go into an aged care facility so I can buy the best possible care for myself? So relying on people to pay for care out of their pockets isn't going to help because the current system doesn't actually guarantee quality care. A lot of the time, residential care is sold on brochures in these nice facilities with big bedrooms, but actually what it comes down to is the care that you're receiving. And we can't currently in the system guarantee that the quality of the care that you'll get is going to be to a high standard. There is such variability. The system is facing understaffing, undertraining. So there needs to be a much better investment to ensure that we have a really high standard across the system so that no one misses out. And this is also more equitable. If we have a universal entitlement to care and say all these care costs are covered by the government, just like in our public patients in public hospitals, it will ensure that everyone can get the care that they need and we want not disproportionately taxing the frail essentially. So because it's unpredictable whether you're going to need care in older age. Some people will need a lot, some people will need little. So we can't just say, oh, those people who get dementia are actually going to have to start paying out of their pockets and much more for these care costs. This should be guaranteed and supported by the government. It's actually not also from an economic point of view a good idea to have all these retirees saving money up in case that they might need care. Uh, And then we actually have a lot of older people who don't need to spend money in aged care and retire with all these savings intact. So that's also not a desirable outcome. So I think it's important to put this in context because as soon as someone says the big T word tax, we're going to have to pay more tax. Everyone automatically bulks, but I already pay enough tax. But the thing I want to remind listeners of and you know what, it's important to keep at the back of our minds when we talk about this is why are we doing this? Exactly. The Royal Commissioners have laid out an aged care system in crisis. Some of the statistics that you see in the report are just so heartbreaking and harrowing. It's just not acceptable for Australia. We're such a wealthy country. We have such high standards of living. Why are we letting vulnerable older Australians to not get the care they need to an adequate standard? Some statistics, for example, yes, we have the 100,000 people on the waiting list, which is an often cited statistic, but other things that have come out, for example, are that there's 50 cases of unlawful sexual contact every week in aged care. In the year of 2018-19, there were up to 44,000 cases of assaults occurring in residential aged care. So this is just some of the statistics of where we need much stronger regulation, transparency and a new system to properly provide care for older Australians and give them a life worth living, really. And the thing is, 
you wouldn't stand by if that was happening in your neighborhood. If there were 50 sexual assaults a week in your neighborhood, what would you be doing? You'd be going to the cops, you'd be reporting this to the newspapers, and yet because it is locked away in aged care facilities behind closed doors, the lack of action on this is appalling and really needs to change. So I think we all need to keep this in mind when we're thinking about, oh, you know, my hip pocket, my purse is going to be lighter because of the changes to this. But just think about it in terms of, you know, your local neighborhood. These are your people in your area, your relatives, your family, your friends. These are people we should be caring for. Can I just add as well that, yes, we need more money in the system, but more money alone isn't enough. And we can't just be giving more money to providers and saying, hey, can you improve the quality of care? We actually need to be matching more spending with changes across the whole system with better regulation and transparency so that money doesn't continue to get lost in the system. Where Right now, for example, we don't know whether taxpayer money is being spent in the right way because we don't have that transparency. So things about increasing, much having much more public reporting about the quality of the care given at different residential care facilities, for example, is an important way to uh, hold the provider's to account. I think that's an absolutely really essential point there. And I think it leads quite nicely into the next question I have for you is what needs to happen this year? The Royal Commission has laid out a number of immediate things that they thought needed to happen. They, alongside a five-year plan to transition the system, because what they are recommending is essentially a whole overhaul of the system. And this takes time, but immediately they said that Issues such as food and nutrition and the use of restrictive practices needed to be addressed. So these are things about having a stronger regulatory framework immediately to regulate restrictive practices. So these are things like physical restraint, like binding someone to a chair. And they also said there needs to be a review of the quality standards. Other things they said were actually clearing this home care waiting list of the 100,000 people that aren't getting the care that they need at home. And that should be done by the end of this year, which is an ambitious timeline. And then also just spending more money. So raising, so for example, the basic daily fee in aged care by $10, which should help pay for some of those food and better food in aged care. So let us know what the response from government has been so far. On the day the report was released, the Prime Minister made an announcement of $452 million of investment. And yes, it's good to see some money being thrown at the system, but it's only the very, very start. It's out by an order of magnitude. We need to be seeing billions of dollars. And hopefully we will get this in the upcoming federal budget where they said they would have their main response. And they also need to make a formal response by the 31st of May. But some of the initial announcements that come with this $452 million aren't too encouraging. A lot of those announcements don't actually reflect specific recommendations made by the Royal Commission. They're more just the vibe of the, what the Royal Commission have said, which is, I find a bit depressing. <laughs> so this is, for example, the Royal Commission says there needs to be an independent review of the quality standards, but the government said we'll do a government review. The Royal Commission said we need a regulatory framework framework for restrictive practices and the government said we'll have an education campaign about restrictive practices. The Royal Commission said we need to clear the waiting list. The government said let's put more funding into auditing uh, home care for now. And also, uh, sadly, the 
Treasurer dismissed the idea of having a levy to pay for aged care last week very quickly after the final report was handed down. Going forward, we hope to see a much better response from the government in the budget. Uh, This is only the very start, really, of the process, but the most important thing is we cannot have incremental change. We must have fundamental change of the system. Otherwise, the report will nearly gather dust. Old Australians will continue to suffer in poor conditions and we will end up with another Royal Commission in however many years to come. I really hope for change in this area, Annika, and I very much appreciate having you on the podcast, always very well informed as usual. Uh, Just one final question before we wrap up today. Where can people read the Royal Commission report for themselves? The Royal Commission has a website. So if you just Google the Aged Care Royal Commission, it should come up immediately. And you can even order on the website a free hard copy if you're one to read on paper. Uh, I ordered only one of the eight books, so you don't have to order the whole 10 kilos if you want to read it that way. There's no ifs or buts in this situation. The aged care system must be reformed for the good of all Australians. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please follow us on your favourite podcasting app and you can continue the conversation on Twitter with us at Grattan Inst and social media at Grattan Institute. As always, please take care and thanks so much for listening. 